0: All right, everyone. We're back. Team TNA Podcast. Today, it's just the A Podcast. Tyler is out of uh, commission today, Um, but we do have a very special guest. It was very, very hard to get this guy on, so I was like, you know what? Show must go on, even without Tyler today. We have Brennan Hershey of Hershey Law. Uh, Brennan, how are you today, sir?
1: I'm doing great, Eric. Excited to be here.
0: Um we're we're very excited to have you. Um it's weird for me to talk in in third person, but you know, usually it's it's a dynamic duo. Today you're just getting half of team TNA. So, um I'm going to do my best to to fill in both sides of this uh questionnaire for you. Um this segment that we're doing is called I want to be A, and usually we bring in cool people with cool uh uh careers and we ask them the ins and outs, how they got into it, some fun stuff, funny stories, a little bit of uh insight, and we go from there. So, Brennan Hershey is a, law, a lawyer or attorney. What, what what was what's the right way to say it? To
1: me, it doesn't matter. I think there's some other you know attorneys out there that think attorney sounds a little bit more prestigious, so they want to roll with that. But for me, it, it doesn't matter. I think most people use lawyer um, who are looking for an attorney. So you know, for me, it really doesn't matter.
0: Okay. Okay um i want to ask you just from the start here can you tell us a little bit about your background and your education uh uh, and and the path to becoming an attorney
1: yeah sure so um i took a little bit of a non-traditional route i guess to law school um i was the the first of my family to to go to college um you know we you know we're lucky enough to be sent to, to private high schools but neither of my parents you know went to um college or anything like that so it wasn't really something that was pushed on us so when I graduated high school um from 18 to 22 I just moved up to Santa Barbara and kind of worked some odd jobs you know working at UPS and stuff like that just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do um and then I decided to to go back to school and I uh Moved back to L.A., uh, went to Moore Park Community College to kind of get myself straight. And then I, I transferred over to UCLA for my final two years. And then after that, I did the um, two-year... Program for law school at Southwestern. Most programs are three years long. Um, this one's an accelerated program that kind of allowed me to, I guess, catch back up to to some of my peers who were, you know, done with school and kind of getting their lives on track. Um, but for me, it was a it was an awesome opportunity because they really focused on getting you real world ready rather than just. It being you know a normal academia world where you're all you're doing is like studying theoretical crap uh, mm-hmm. they really allowed you to kind of get into it and, and get some hands-on experience and they required you to do some externships and stuff like that so it was the perfect opportunity for me just to kind of um, finish my education and then and then go into the legal field I had worked at law firms in high school and uh, while I was at Moorpark College so I always knew that I wanted to eventually open up my own firm um so i just needed to kind of get that certificate you know that 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 uh paper the diploma pass the bar and then get some experience and i was ready to open up my own firm
0: so that that's really really interesting can i ask so you said that you you were from the time you were in high school already working kind of in the field is it something what what drew you to to be coming in that into that field what drew you to that field
1: Honestly, I just liked the, um, opportunity to, to, to help people out. And I liked the plaintiff side of things because, um, you know i'm not the type of attorney that that has to count my hours i only get paid when i'm successful um and when i win a case so i felt like there was a little bit of a competitive aspect to that um you know i grew up playing sports and and i feel like litigation has a competitive edge to it um so you know i worked in a mail room worked as a legal assistant worked as a paralegal so i I worked from the bottom up in law firms um and i liked the competitive aspect of of litigation that i saw the attorneys going through and and then frankly i was like you know what i could do it do it better, right? I could do a better way. So <laughs> I decided to to, 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 you know, go back and, you know, get my diploma. And then, you know, here I am.
0: That, that's so interesting. And, and a question I have, and a question that a lot of people have is, as a lawyer, do you do you see the world differently? Do you see just the opportunities to, to right wrongs? And do you see um, injustices happening? Do you just see it in your daily life, things that you would do different or better or people that are taking the wrong approach to, to correcting actions?
1: Yeah. I mean, especially because I do employment law and so many, you know, there's, there's kind of two aspects to that one, or I think what everyone thinks about with like the sexual harassment, racial discrimination, wrongful termination stuff, but even just, you know, wage and hour stuff with people not getting breaks or not getting paid overtime, you know, so everywhere I go now, I'm constantly like looking at, you know, what the employers are doing with their employees, how they're treating them or mistreating them. Um, so, so that's something that certainly kind of affected my work my, my outlook on life is I'm always kind of constantly looking at that. Um, right. But I also really enjoyed you know a lot of the law school stuff where it talks about constitutional law and, and stuff like that. So I think it's really relevant to like how you look at free speech with all the issues kind of going on about that, you know, right now it's like with the Joe Rogan stuff. So I think it, it you know I, I don't approach things really emotionally. I, I approach them, you know, what what does the law actually say about it? What's the history of it and, and then how how would it apply to this specific situation?
0: So so as far as I'm so glad you brought that up. Just being a lawyer and and having the the know how and having the actual laws behind you, do you come into do you come into situations with biases or are you strictly um, I hate to say it but like kind of like a numbers guy where it's okay I understand how you feel but this is actually what it's allowed to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think everyone comes in with some bias, even even if you try not to. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, so a lot of the times I, I tell clients, it's like, look, I I understand your your employer was an asshole to you, and um, you know it's not fair how they treated you. And I think if you pulled you know, a hundred people, 99 of them would agree that you got wronged, but that doesn't mean what they did was illegal. So, you know, there's a big distinction from, from, you know, doing something wrong, um, kind of like in layman's term and then doing something illegal. So I, 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 it definitely kind of has affected how I, I look at those type of situations.
0: And, and, and I'm sure a lot of times you have to be the bearer of bad news and tell them, listen, and just like you said, this guy may have come at you sideways, but that's, it's not illegal. That's just the person is a dick, Right.
1: Exactly. Unfortunately, there's no real laws against like workplace bullying or like your boss being an asshole. Maybe we'll get there one day. I mean, California is <laughs> right. great, but we're, we're not perfect. So um, I'm curious to see what will happen in the future with all these studies about like school bullying. Um, you know, why is that allowed in the workplace and stuff like that? So, so yeah.
0: I, I want to ask you, um, just as far as just as far as harassment and things like that, um, how much does intent play a part of it? Because, you know, uh, we're, we're in a very interesting time. And we, we don't get political here at all. But but I'm just going to throw a few a few names. So so a person like Joe Biden, who is a little bit more touchy feely than than how people are today, right? Um, how, how where, where is the distinction? Where's the line where you can call a person honey or sweetheart and not be harassing them? I mean, is 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 it a fine line? Or is it is there a definitive answer for something like that?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting, uh, kind of problem that we have right now. I I think that most people, at least in my experience, some people, you know, give the older generation a pass on some of that behavior, because I, I think they do realize that maybe their intentions aren't, you know, of a sexual nature. That's just, you know, kind of the way that they, you know, have always done things. So, um, I I think it's kind of natural that sometimes the little older generation gets a pass, but you know, if if you're a part of the younger generation and you're doing that, I think it comes off as creepy. So it's definitely, it's definitely a, you know, a kind of a, a weird time right now to deal with those, but you know, I'm assuming, you know, in the next 10 years, it's just going to be completely unacceptable across the board. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it it is a really interesting time and, and it is, um, I, I worry that it's, it's, Making people a little bit trigger happy, and I want to ask you: Do you do you find that in today's society people are a little bit too um, anxious to sue people, and a little bit too into uh, looking how they were wronged and if they were wronged and if they're due to be uh, uh, on 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 the receiving end of a little bit of a, a financial win? Because it, it does seem a little bit that people are so trigger happy to get someone you know uh, uh, sued today. Do you do you see that, and do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, um no, I, I don't agree with it. And it's something that we you know, really, you know, we want to represent just clients and get just results for those just clients. I don't want to represent what we call like serial plaintiffs who have, you know, 10 active lawsuits or have, you know, sued every prior employer that they've been on uh, because that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to come here and just have a quick, you know, cash grab to get some money. We actually want to represent people who, who deserve it and need our assistance. So during our screening, one of the first questions we ask are about any prior lawsuits. And then we look into them because, you know, it's a huge red flag. If they have multiple lawsuits, it doesn't mean that, you know, it, it can't, they can't have happened, that they weren't, that it can't have happened, that they actually have deserved to have those lawsuits, but it's a pretty big red flag. And we look into them a lot more thoroughly if that's the case.
0: So, so, and I don't mean to sound rude, but are those potential clients that you would actually say, I'm sorry, I, I'm not taking your case.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, You know, four years ago when I first started the firm, I was trying to take whatever came in the doors, right? I'm a lot more selective now that we have a a little track record of success. Um, And, you know, I I like to be proud of the clients we represent. I like to be proud of the work we do. I think we're really making a difference for people here and really uh, representing people who have been seriously wronged by their employer. So I think it kind of cheapens our, our goal and, um, you know, even our, the reputation of the firm, if, if, if all the defense firms that we're going up against constantly know that we have all these serial plaintiffs, um, yeah. it's going to affect the value of our legitimate cases. So it's not it's not a good business decision either for us.
0: That's true. That's true. And you can't say and you can't say yes to everyone. And you can't always be a hero, especially when a person is is looking. And can you tell like just a few minutes in? can you tell if someone's looking for a cash grab or if someone is, is legitimate? Can you tell that already or does that just is it just really case by case?
1: Uh, it's case by case. I mean, sometimes we can pick on it, pick up on it pretty quickly. And other times it doesn't really rear its head till till you're into litigation. I mean, um, a lot of the times we have to rely on what our clients are telling us initially. And then we get through kind of the litigation process and do some discovery and, uh, you know, find out more information and, uh, you know, talk to other witnesses. And we're like, oh, this is a, you know, a complete cash grab. And, you know, frankly, our, our client's a liar. So those ones need to be put down and we need to get those cases out of the door.
0: That that I can imagine, and I hate to use the word, but I can imagine that would be embarrassing for you, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, our, we we want to have a good reputation uh, amongst the legal community, and we don't want to be seen as kind of this employment mill where we'll sign up anything that comes through our door just to to have a quick cash grab.
0: So so uh, on top of just being frustrating, have, what happens when a client lies to you? And has that happened to you?
1: Yeah, it, it has. So. Um, about a year and a half ago, two years, I'll just give you a quick example. We had a client who um, in her deposition told, told us that she had, or, you know, it was in her deposition. So the defense counsel was asking her, do you have a, a journal where you took, you know, notes about how bad this sexual harassment affected you. Um, and she told, and she answered yes, which was news to me, because I had never seen that journal. And then obviously the other side now is entitled to get a copy of that journal and look at it. And when she brought us the journal, I mean, it was clear that she wrote down the, she wrote all of the entries, 30 minutes before in her car with the same ink. So at this point, you know, I I know that the other side, it was, it was a really reputable firm. I knew that they were going to catch on to it right away. I knew that they were going to get a forensic, you know, a handwriting forensic expert or whatever to look into it. So I immediately subbed out of the case. I was like, I'm not going to represent you um, one because now I have, I have to produce this. And I know that it's, Forge. So you're putting me in an ethical dilemma. And I immediately subbed out of the case because I wasn't going to be involved in a case like that.
0: Are, are you are you allowed or is there a penalty to just mid case say, you know what, the, the client just keeps keeps pulling, you know, uh, rabbits out of their hat and, and just throwing me for a loop? Are you allowed to, to excuse yourself from a case?
1: Uh, it kind of depends i mean there's some professional rules uh, of responsibility we call them that apply to lawyers and it kind of lays out when it's appropriate to to withdraw from a case um, but if your client's lying to you that's a situation where you can um, i have a case right now like where we went to a mediation last week and we were recommending that our client you know takes a, a you know a settlement for like 50 grand or whatever and he thinks it's worth a million dollars and we just have such a huge difference of opinion on the value that you know i'm not going to just keep spending money and hours on the case when uh, you know he's not being reasonable so that gives us an opportunity to withdraw so there's certainly uh you know certain situations where we've, we can withdraw as long as we don't like prejudice our client where it's you know a day before trial and they're not going to have an attorney or something like that
0: right right that's just that's just being a human being and being fair at that point right
1: yeah and it's also you know required by the state bar so you don't want to go <laughs> foul of them
0: right 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 um Give me one second. I'm just I'm just looking over my notes. I have, we have so many questions. So I, I was explaining to Brennan before the episode the way that Tyler and I come up with these episodes is, is we get we get a person like Brennan who we say, okay, we have an attorney at our at our fingertips. What's what's everything we can poke, prod, throw at this person and get the ins and outs of the industry and just figure out really what it is? And also we do have so many questions from our you know people that listen to the show and, and want to ask a lawyer and finally have the opportunity. Um, so that's why these are a little bit all over the place. I'm just you know, letting Brandon know it's it's his first time with us here. Um, what else can I do? Uh, when is it right to go to HR and management versus seek legal help?
1: So um, I, I would say that you, it's always good to start with HR as your first um, stop because even if you do eventually get legal help, one of the most important things that we look into is did this person complain to HR and what was their response? So, um, I I think it's important to start with HR, but then there's obviously, you know, some severe egregious situations where the client, you know, the client doesn't even want to return to work after what happened. You know, for example, we're representing a waitress at a restaurant down the street who was choked by her manager, Oh my god! uh, her her male manager. and, And then, um, you know she didn't she never wanted to return to work so at that point you know she's she, no matter what hr does she's not gonna yeah. feel comfortable going back because it was the owner of the restaurant that choked her yeah, understandably. So, yeah
0: so so at that point it would be correct just to to jump hr and go straight to legal counsel
1: yeah, exactly. So when there's you know a point of no return where you're never going to go back to the company, and it was somebody in a supervisory position that was you know harassing or or, or discriminating against you, then I think it's a it's uh, you know appropriate to just reach out directly to an attorney. Um, or or if you you know you know that you're not getting your your 10 minute breaks or your 30 minute lunch breaks or you're not getting paid overtime, you can just come directly to us and we can help right that wrong as well
0: so okay so naturally a follow-up question to that would be um people who seek legal help uh, do they continue to work and continue to act business as usual do they continue just to to, to grind the nine to five do they go to work the next day how, how does that work if they reach out to that- you and say i'm being i'm being wronged and give you you know their paper trail do they continue to go to work after that
1: um uh, some yes some of our clients do i'd say a majority of them don't reach out until they've been terminated and you know then they want to right the wrongs that have happened to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have some clients that are still employed by their employer. And if you hire an attorney, it's what we call a protected activity. Um, so they cannot retaliate against you, even if they have an ongoing lawsuit. So, I mean, and, and retaliation can be from, you know, firing you or cutting your hours significantly to something as simple as just increased supervision. So, um, you're, you know, there, there's various forms of retaliation. Yeah. Um, but if you have an ongoing lawsuit, You're you're supposed to be protected from any of that behavior. So if it does happen, it really only increases the value of your current case.
0: But I imagine I imagine just naturally there would be the animosity that within the office place, right? I mean, if if you're the manager and you know someone is building a case against you, I imagine you're giving them dirty looks. I imagine you're avoiding them. You know, and that's just natural, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think practically that's the most likely outcome. But um, you know. If the employer is smart, they're going to do everything in their power to not allow that to happen because they're just going to, you know, make it a more expensive mess for themselves.
0: Of course, of course. So maybe, maybe schedule them differently where they're staggered and not seeing one another, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Things like that. Okay, um, this is a touchy one, and this is one that hits a little close to home. Do self-employed people have the same protections as employed people?
1: Um, not. So, so maybe you can clarify that. So like if you're just a, a business owner and you're just owning one company or, or what, do you, so, what? So do
0: you you're think? a small business owner. Yeah. Let's say you're a small business owner and and you go from client to client. Can you be harassed or is it because I have the option to leave at any time that I would not be eligible to be called harassed?
1: Yeah, no, it's more for employees rather than owners of the company, because like you said, you're kind of the the one that has the power to stop that situation. So if you're going from client to client and one of your clients are harassing you, I mean, the logical um, response to that would be to you know cut that client off or or whatever, rather than, uh, you know, you wouldn't be going to complain to HR or complain right. to somebody higher up than you because there's nobody higher up than you.
0: Right. Okay. Um, what constitutes wrongful termination versus a, versus a justified firing?
1: So California is what we call an at-will employment state, which means you can be terminated from your job at any time for any reason, as long as it's not an unlawful reason. So, I mean, if your client, if your boss thinks you did something wrong and you know you didn't, but you're still fired, that's still a legitimate reason for the boss to fire you because it's not an unlawful reason. What makes it unlawful is if you're fired because of you know, a protected characteristic and those protected characteristics are, you know, your race, religion, age, gender, sexual orientation, things of those nature. So as long as you're not terminated for reasons connected to that, or like in retaliation for being a whistleblower or anything like that, then most, most of the terminations are going to be lawful, but it's only when you're terminated for an unlawful reason, like retaliation, harassment, or discrimination, that it becomes a wrongful termination
0: and and i imagine it's it's insanely hard to prove something like that right or is it easier than we think just to say oh this person fired me because because i'm i'm muslim i'm jewish i'm a female is it i mean i imagine that's very hard to prove right
1: yeah, and in most situations it is. You know, it's it's rare where we get a smoking gun where there's an email saying, "Hey, I'm terminating you," you know, because of your race or your religion, right? The most of the time, it's based on circumstantial evidence, maybe a few offhand remarks, or you know, sometimes we have to look at. Um, what's called like disparate treatment what, Were the females, you know, disproportionately terminated in this office as opposed to the males when they are having the same type of performance and, and really look at the, you know, the numbers and the, and circumstantial evidence to, to build our case.
0: Okay. Um, one of the things I saw that, that, that your firm handles is product injuries. I thought that was fascinating. Just, just the title of that, because I can just imagine how many, what, in, what that encompasses. That's a huge, huge thing, right?
1: Yeah. So product liability, you know, it's a big area of personal injury and um, we actually, so like, for example, we just signed up a case this week where um, there was a guy that was um, using one of those like igloo coolers, you know, that just one of those big uh, ice boxes and he was lifting it and then his brother came to help lift one of the other candles and they lifted up the handle at the same time and his finger got cut off and it like, Remove the top of his pinky finger. Oh my God. So, you know, there we're going to argue that the, the, the ice chest was, um, defectively designed. And so that's what gives rise to the liability of the company. So those, those are those types of cases. And, you know, you might've seen them with other types of products, like whether it's, um, you know, Johnson and Johnson talc powder, talc powder, causing cancer or stuff like that. But it's a, it's a pretty unique area of law because you're usually gone up against massive corporations with unlimited resources. So it's, it's a tough one, but you know, if you can uh, show that there was a defective design, it can be a pretty, uh, you know lucrative type of case so
0: and and again not to not to minimize uh, your firm or, or your capabilities but is that intimidating for, to you as a lawyer we're just talking to friends now um totally off the record right um as 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 a lawyer okay is it intimidating for you to go up against i'm just throwing a name amazon against sony against igloo is is that big because you're you're knocking on a door of a, of a company that's the size of a country right
1: I, honestly, that's those are the cases that I love the most. Those are the ones that I look forward to more. Um, so we we one of our core values is being fearless. And, and I think it's important to be fearless as a plaintiff's attorney because you have to go up against these major corporations um, and these huge defense firms with unlimited budgets. And we have to try to figure out a way to kind of level the playing field. And, and the way that we do that here uh, at Hershey Law is to kind of employ legal technology. There's so much. Um, you know the the law field is so it's really a dinosaur there's so many people that really aren't tech savvy. Um, So one of the things that we think differentiates us from other plaintiffs firms, especially, is that we've really embraced kind of the tech revolution that's going on in the legal space to try and help us level the playing field with these huge, massive defense firms. And um, you know, the other thing is, you know, if we get a good enough case, uh, they've got deep pockets, and we can really hit them with what we call punitive damages, which are damages that are designed to actually punish the defendant. Um, And then we can really make a difference. I mean, there's a uh, a case that just happened uh, up in northern california um tried by a, an awesome attorney named bernard alexander where he got 155 million against Jeez. tesla Uh, For racist behavior that was going on in their warehouses. And, you know, when you hit them for that type of verdict, you're making a huge difference, not just amongst Tesla, but other corporations that see that as a warning sign and hopefully try to, you know, prevent that from happening at their workplaces. You know, not because they care about the, the employee, but because they care about their bottom line.
0: Of course, of course. Um, I, w- I want to ask you, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but just just because we we did knock on something like that, where it's someone you know, a David versus Goliath story. Is it is it is there any ever danger uh, to to the job? I mean, do you get do you get threats? Do you get intimidation, maybe from companies, maybe from employers or or things like that? Because unfortunately, you you don't have the luxury of hiding. You're you're yeah. Brendan Hershey. You're Hershey Law. Your name is on the side of a building. Everyone knows where your address is. They know what your office hours are. You know, uh, is is there is there any fear in that?
1: You know, I've been lucky so far where I haven't had any direct threats against me. But, um, I mean, just two weeks ago, we have a client that um, is, we're getting ready for a trial on. And he received anonymous phone uh, phone calls threatening him that if he showed up at trial, that they were going to shoot him. Um, and that's Jesus. just for a simple Wage an hour case, um, so you know there there are you know when you're coming after somebody's livelihood and and and, and you know coming after money for people that have started these businesses, obviously it can get pretty contentious. Um, thankfully, I haven't seen any of that happen, but I have heard some horror stories of other attorneys where you have a disgruntled client or a disgruntled defendant um, that really takes it out on the attorneys. So uh, I, you know, yeah, there, there's a, a little bit of a worry there, but thankfully, I haven't had to deal with any situation like that personally
0: thank god yeah um okay sorry sorry for taking those tangents it's just you know one thing leads to another and 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 you're fascinating i mean it's it's crazy that that you took out the time to 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 answer all these questions for us and we appreciate you for that yeah of
1: course um,
0: so if there's a recall uh which happens all the time and people neglect the recall are they still are they still uh, eligible for 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 being injured by the product i mean just like you said for the igloo case right Let's say yeah, it, they said sent out a recall and a person neglects the recall they're like whatever I don't care and and they still get hurt by it. Are they, are they yeah. still entitled to anything?
1: I mean it, it it would depend. I mean most likely if they really were put on notice of the recall um and then the injury happened um in the same manner that the recall was intended to to prevent um I think it would be an uphill battle but you know, at the same time, the, the product was already put out there. So, you know, how often do are people really aware of, of their product being recalled or right. know, if it was sent, maybe it's in junk folder. So we'd have to, it, it, you know, one of a lawyer's favorite answers is to always say it depends, but it would truly depend on the unique <laughs> circumstances of that case.
0: Okay. Um, let me see what else I have here. So just be, being a lawyer, do you do you and we we touched on this earlier when I asked you if you see the world differently are you able to disconnect work from home or do you always carry it with you are you just a lawyer 24/7 do you i mean it must be it must be hell for your partner to to be home and and try to start any kind of an argument with you right
1: well, my wife's an attorney, also, so oh, no. I think it's it's worse for me if I try to start an <laughs> argument with her. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's tough because it is a, it is a twenty four seven job. I, I really try to prioritize having a strong work life balance, um, not for myself, but really for all my employees at the firm. Uh, you know, I have a two and a half year old daughter, a three month old son. I, I enjoy going home and trying to disconnect. So, you know, I think I'm pretty good about it. Um, i try you know i don't like my staff working weekends i think that's one of the other parts of our, our industry that's really like a dinosaur it's these attorneys pride themselves on how hard they work i pride ourselves i pride ourselves on how smart we work i try to work smarter not harder um, and i think if you come into the office burnt out every day you're not going to be the best version of yourself so i really encourage my employees to to go home early we shut down the office at two o'clock on fridays i pay them for the full day just to get out and uh, kind of get a head start on the weekend um, and, and i think that's that's really important because um, litigation and being a lawyer—it's—it's it's stressful. It's combative. It's competitive, um, and you got to be able to turn it off.
0: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, that's that's actually really cool of you to say, and that's a really cool perspective that you have on it. Um, so and and I'm glad you brought up because everyone has in their mind the stigma of the lawyer just you know working. How did they say, burning the midnight uh, oil, right? Right. They're just a twenty four seven thing, and they're you know up fall asleep with their face in the book and all that. So I'm I'm really glad you brought it up and, and humanized it. Um, what are some things about being a lawyer that people might not know or expect when getting into the field?
1: I'd say that you know most of your time is not spent in a courtroom. You know most of your time is spent kind of in the office getting ready to go to court, uh, but most stuff. You know, most of the important stuff that happens in the in the life of a lawsuit doesn't really happen in court. So I mean, depositions, discovery work, um, and, and what I mean by those are that's really where you have an opportunity to ask people questions, um, you know, on the record or send them written requests. That's where you really, you know, lose or win a lot of these cases. Obviously, trial is incredibly important too, and that's your last opportunity to win a case. But most of the groundwork for your success or your failure has already been laid throughout the litigation process. So I, I think that, you know, most people kind of envision us in suits in court constantly, but it's, it's really, um, you know, that's actually, you know, especially now with COVID that doesn't happen often.
0: <laughs> right. Um, what was I going to say here? Oh man, I, I had something, I had something perfect for you too, I, that I was going to follow that up with, uh, me one second. Um, what would you say would be the most frustrating thing in your profession?
1: Hmm. Most frustrating thing um I think would be when you go up against, you know, like an opponent, when I mean, you know, a defense counsel who who treats who, who doesn't who treats the other side with complete disrespect i think there's got to be kind of some professional courtesy amongst the attorneys um, and um, i think there's a lot of especially on the defense side who who really enjoy being competitive and, and enjoy making the process miserable because they think it gives them some type of advantage in litigation uh, but i've always found that i get better results when i get along with opposing counsel rather than you know make it contentious i mean obviously you know there's a point and there's a time and a a place to make it contentious and to fight for the rights of your client. But there, there, I think there's a lot of attorneys that, you know, that's how they live their life. That's how they treat their staff. That's probably how they treat their, you know, partner or kids at home as well. And I just don't think that's the way to do it. So I think that's frustrating is kind of trying to, you know, get out of that stigma, especially with, you know, some of a lot of the older attorneys, I think that was just the culture for a long time. So I, I, that's something that, you know, I don't like about the profession.
0: So, so on that note, also, like how, I mean, obviously, you do take it personally, though, right? I mean, when you're when you're standing on a plaintiff side and you're looking across at a defendant side, and you're looking at their attorney or you're looking at their client, you're you're almost standing in the shoes of the person that you're defending, right? You do take it very personally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to take your work home sometimes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, when you're deposing somebody and he's just lying through uh, his teeth to you for five straight hours, it, it gets pretty frustrating. But again, um, that's where I think it's important to figure out something that works for you to decompress before you take that home.
0: Okay, and 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 please, please don't be offended by this question. Is it is it ever a numbers game? I mean, when you're a, a, an, an attorney for a defendant, or you're an attorney for a plaintiff. Do you say, I lost X amount and I won X amount? Is is it ever a numbers game? Or is it really, hey, I, I won for this person or I wish I could have done better for that person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're also a business, right? We've got to make rent, we've got to make payroll, we've got to make a living for ourselves. So, um, you know, the number does matter. And frankly, I mean, that's the way that we get justice for our clients was with a better number. So it's the number is important. But that's not the most important part of it. You know, I always tell my clients that you know just because we get a higher number doesn't actually mean we're going to get more money in your pocket. So for example, if we got a $50,000 offer today, I haven't put any expenses on it. I'll just take my fees and you'll get your percentage and you'll end up with maybe $25,000 in your pocket. If we get if if you make me spend $25 or $50,000 on your case, I'll be more than happy to front that money and do the work. Now we get you 100,000 you're still only getting twenty-five or maybe even less in your pocket because um, you know my percentage went up, the cost on your case went up. So I think it's really important to, to really explain to your clients the pros and cons of all aspects of litigation and then do what's right for them. And that will lead to you getting referrals and that will lead to you getting, you know, better cases where you can actually hit that big number, but not at the expense of the client getting less in their pocket. So that's you know one of the I think the conflicts of interest that between a lot of attorneys and their clients is sometimes getting a a better big number for the settlement doesn't actually result in more money in your pocket. So it it only benefits me. I'm going to get more money. The court reporters are going to get more money. The doctors are going to get more money, but you're not. And I hate to see clients get it taken advantage of by other firms using that kind of scenario.
0: I, man, you're you're so fair, and it's so refreshing. You know, people always think lawyer, and it's it's almost a bad word. And I and I hope you don't take offense to that. I, I I wonder if that exists in your world. If you know that that's how people do think when they hear lawyer, they're like, oh man, here comes a shark. You know, like coming coming for blood, right?
1: No, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny that you said that, and you used the shark as an example, our logo is actually a shark. And it was kind of (laughs) a play on that thought. And I was like, look, everyone thinks that we're some shark, but really the way that I want to use this logo as the shark is, you know, it's like, look, you know, the shark is, is kind of the baddest fish in the ocean. We're not afraid of other bigger fish. Um, and we're going to, be aggressive on behalf of our clients so i kind of tried to turn that stigma on its head uh, i think some people kind of get turned off by it, and like why the hell is this guy using the shark when that's a derogatory term to kind t- of to, to to talk about lawyers but i, yeah. I used it i tried to t- turn it on his head so that's funny you, you use that as an example
0: i mean it's almost a bad word right i mean i'm, I'm sure you've heard that right i'm not the, i'm not bringing it to light to you right
1: no, yeah, absolutely. And and as a small business owner, I do have sympathy sometimes for the defendants we're going against, especially when it's, you know, they've only done wage and hour violations. And frankly, they probably didn't know that they were doing anything illegal. I think there's a fine line of... um you know, going after people for, for little violations. And, you know, I don't want to go shut down a mom and pop restaurant. But of at course. the same time, if you're not giving your employees breaks, you're breaking the law. And I have a duty to my clients. So it, it's an interesting fine line. And I can certainly understand, um, especially in California, why some business owners have that view of plaintiff's attorneys.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Do you ever do you ever do any? Are you ever on the defendant side? Or are you strictly plaintiff?
1: No, I'm strictly plaintiff. The only time I do any defense work, if it's like a one-off case for a family member just to help them out.
0: Is that, is that fun for you or is it like completely a different world?
1: Uh, you know, for once in a while, it'll be fun for a little bit, you know, if it's a unique scenario, but then it, it's, it's not, it's not the role I like playing. I like being the aggressor. I like, uh, you know, feel like I'm representing the person that deserves justice rather than somebody that, you know, probably did something wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you, and then you try to minimize it. And I want to ask you about that too. It's one of the questions I had for later down the road, but I just want to ask you those, those attorneys that, that do defense work. And are, let's just say, like, for the sake of the story, in a big case where it was, um, you know, a mass murder, and this guy has blood on his hands, and he absolutely did it, there's a video of him doing it, and they arrested him with it. How, how do those defense attorneys, how do they kind of allow themselves to defend this person that is so guilty? I mean, how do they do it? How do they stand on that person's side and and say, he's actually not a monster, he didn't mean to do this, or however they they, they approach it? How, how do they do that, though?
1: I think the, the way that they justify it, and, and really I, I think it's a fair justification, is to re- recognize that it's really a necessary role in our judicial system to protect the innocent, right? We want somebody that's willing to to go in there and fight no matter how bad the accusations are, because that's what our jury system is founded on, that you get a fair defense. You know, even if it's clear that you're guilty, I think it's important that we have a good advocate for you to give, you know, so that the truth actually comes out. Um, So, you know, I I think, I, I believe it was John Adams back, you know, he was one of the first people that, that, I think represented somebody during the I think it was the Boston the the T the massacre. I, I have to think about it, but you know that was something he got a lot of smack for it. Uh, but it's a necessary, I, I, almost like evil, for us to protect the integrity of the entire system to be able to provide those defenses. So um, it, it's difficult. It's not something I can do. You know, I've had to represent uh, you know somebody accused of child abuse in severe cases back oh, when no. I was working for other planet. And it's it's not something I could ever do, but I think it is a necessary evil.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let Let's go back onto a happy note here. Um, and again, and and again, I really hope you're not being offended by any of this. I I hope not to get a a letter from you after this about uh say, you know me being becoming a defendant here. Um, no,
1: I have some pretty thick skin. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Um, is a settlement a victory for an attorney? Is is that a victory? Do you see a settlement as justice?
1: yeah absolutely I, I mean you know I'd say ninety five percent of cases settle um, and and it, it you know it prevents the the plaintiff from having to do a lot of stuff that's going to be un, you know uncomfortable and, and maybe you know have some PTSD from you know going through depositions getting examined uh, cross-examined in trial in front of a jury you know a bunch of strangers having to relive all those moments constantly um settlement gives you closure. And no matter how strong your case is going to a jury trial is a gamble. You have 12 strangers who you don't know their biases determining your fate. Uh, And no matter how strong your case is or how good your attorney is, crazy things happen in that courtroom. So, you know, it's a guaranteed result and guaranteed money in your pocket when we get a settlement. Um, And, you know, we try to get you a fair settlement so that, um, you know, that, that takes some of those risks into account, so you know, I, mean, I always I think that settlements are are absolutely a victory, um, and you know we have a lot of clients also who don't want to go through the litigation process, so they tell us up front, I want to settle this, I don't want to go to trial. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely a victory.
0: But I, but I imagine that on the flip side, some people do say, I I want that person to admit that they wronged me. I want I want that person to say out loud because I feel like a settlement is almost not an admission of guilt. It's almost someone pleading the fifth. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some people that want their day in court and they want that type of justice. Um, you know, and if the situation's right, we'll absolutely do that for them. But you know, we're not gonna do that for them in, in situations where the, the the risk isn't worth the reward um and you know because we're you know we've i don't know if you know how can how our agreements work but i only get paid if i win i get a percentage right. of what we win and i front all the costs and all the manpower on your case so it's a bad business decision for me if you're insisting on me to go to trial i know we're gonna lose i'm not gonna do that because it's gonna i'm <laughs> gonna be out money i'm gonna be out manpower and then you might owe costs at the end of the day because you lost at trial so you know that we, uh, I get that people want that day in court, but you know, it's, we o- we can only do that for them in the appropriate situations.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So I'm I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you brought it up because we've heard all these commercials from from all these uh, places that say you don't pay unless we win. Is yep. that is there fine print to something like that, or is it really? Hey, we tried, we lost. Let's shake hands. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, that that's true. You know, if if the only way you, I ever make a dollar off your case is if I recover something on your behalf. So, um, it's that, that's exactly how it works. Um, and I think it's a good system in place because there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to afford the help of an attorney at 500 to a thousand dollars an hour, um, to, to prosecute their cases. So, um, it allows us to, you know, Kind of take on the risk of taking on the clients and then, you know, we take a significant percentage of the recovery, but we also have, you know, all the risk involved.
0: Right, right. You're fronting up all the money there. Um, What would you say is the funnest part about being an attorney? What's the most fun you have as an attorney?
1: It's definitely hitting a big settlement or a big verdict for a, a worthy client. You know, not only is it fun to get that you know, big chunk of money coming in, uh, but just to see the joy in the client's face and the relief that you know, they've been vindicated and um, you know, they were right and you know, everybody else saw that they were right. That's, that's the awesome. best part. You know, you, you, after, you know, working on a case for two years and contentious litigation and getting that big result, um, it, it's awesome to, you know, sit down and, you know, pour, pour some bourbon or something with the partners <laughs> here and, and celebrate that win.
0: So if, if I could ask you, and it's a little bit off topic, but, but you're a lawyer and you've, and you've had this scenario before. So let's say we just want a massive settlement. Yeah. Let's say we just got a mill on something. Okay. How are we celebrating? And what are we drinking? If Tyler were here, he would absolutely ask this question. Tyler, I'm asking this for you. Brendan, we just <laughs> want a huge case. What what What's going into the glass?
1: Well, I'm a big Buffalo Trace bourbon guy. So any of the Buffalo Trace lines, I mean, if I could get my, my hands on some Pappy Van Wink, I'll do it. But I'm a big fan of the, uh, the, e. H., the Colonel E.H. Taylor. It's a, it's a great bourbon made by Buffalo Trace and it's pretty affordable. It's only like you know, I think it's less than a hundred bucks. If you can find it, it's just hard to find. But, you know, that's my go to just sit there, have a, you know, a couple thumbs of that and, you know, have a good night and celebrate <laughs> and kind of re- reminisce on the case.
0: Definitely. I had to ask that for Tyler, but I, I, I'm so glad you, you uh, let me ask that question for you. Um, <laughs> are any of the lawyer movie or TV shows accurate? I mean, everyone has that, that scene in their head where someone just stands up and yells objection and starts pointing and all of that, or you can't handle the truth. Like, are, is any, of, are any of them real or any kind of accurate?
1: I mean, it's pretty dramatized, obviously, for effect, but yeah, I mean, it it can be. You know, when you're in the courtroom, the best story is the side that wins. And um, if you do have a good actor up there as a good trial attorney, um, it can certainly, you know, help your case. Uh, You know, my partner here, his name is Johnny Hornberger, and he uh, learned under Nick Rowley, who's probably, you know, the most famous trial attorney in the country at the moment. And he, one of his uh, most infamous stunts was he got up there in a chicken suit, a mask (laughs) mascot chicken suit and a mascot case to argue, Um, and he got like a you know I think a huge multi-million dollar verdict because of it. It was unorthodox, but kind of that theater aspect of the trial, you know, it's it's absolutely happens and and it can really be powerful. And a lot of your jury, that's what they've come to expect because they've been indoctrinated by all these shows. So you've got to put on a little performance for them. Absolutely.
0: Have you have you done your fair share of those? Have you ever like stood up and started crying and saying, you know, this is my poor uh, client? And you know, have you done anything like that?
1: So, you know, in in deposition I have, but in trials, that's really not my lane. That's I went out and hired Johnny as our trial attorney because um, being a trial attorney, it's a whole different life. It's a different ballgame. You really have to be 100% committed to being a trial attorney. I'm more interested in the business side of things. So I run the business side of things here. um, And then I let my partners and the other associates really litigate the cases. So I've stepped back and I don't do as much actual litigating anymore. Uh, I try to think of myself more as, a a businessman here for the firm
0: okay um are there any funny stories you could tell us just off the top of your head some the the common story that you always share with people when they ask you hey man do you have any good stories for us
1: Hmm. so let me think for a second i'd say that You know, there's not really funny, I'd say like a go-to funny story. Um, uh, You know, one of the cool Mm -hmm. things about being an employment attorney is we have some pretty good, you know, dinner stories, right? So we can, you know, I have a lot of, you know, Bill Clinton type of situations where there's a sexual harassment case. And, you know, we have the shirt with, you know, the DNA samples on oh, it no. and stuff <laughs> like that. So, you know, you can have some pretty, you know, juicy stories to tell about how crazy things are in the workplace for some people. Um, so I think that kind of just, you know, talking about the, the crazy stories that we have or the crazy cases, that's more my go to. Um, so what's and, one know, that pe- stuck with you? So I think that one of the cases that stuck with me, um, and I just thought it was so egregious as we were representing three women who were survivors of domestic abuse. Uh, I mean, one of the women who had been pimped out since she was 13 years old on the streets of Compton. Oh um, you know, her 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 daughter was pimped out from pimps too, um, and she you know she she ended up becoming an, a humongous advocate for these women, um, and she was speaking to police stations about you know how to treat prostitutes more as victims rather than as criminals because. That that's most likely the scenario. Um, yeah. And she, I mean, she was huge. She was on TV. She was doing talk shows. She was all over the place, and she was working for an agency designed to help victims of human trafficking. And she was getting a, they were getting abused and discriminated and harassed by their boss, who was supposed to be in charge <laughs> of all these women. So for me, you know, that's just kind of such a hypocritical stance that it always stuck out to me. Is like, I mean, it's crazy that you can have a, you know, state funded organization designed to help women overcome abuse. And then the the man, you know, the white man running that was abusing them.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. It's, it's, it's crazy how shameless it is. Um, so, and then this one also, I, I, I hate to call you out. Uh, it, just being a lawyer, is it, is it very lucrative? Do most lawyers live very well? Is this, is this something people can absolutely get into and say, you know what, I'm going to live, I'm going to live good off of this.
1: You know, not automatically, really. It's not, I mean, right now it's a better time to be coming out of law school. But when I came out of law school, I mean, my first job was, you know, a salary of 50, 50 grand with bonuses. And I was, you know, $250,000 in debt from going to <laughs> law school. So yeah. um, it's not automatic. You still have to work hard. So just because you go to law school and pass the bar doesn't mean that you're going to get a high paying job. You still have to, you know, work your way into becoming a good attorney. And, you know, that takes a lot of, you know, individual work, you're not just going to go somewhere and be mentored automatically, you kind of have to put in the groundwork to learn your area of law, you know, and, and learn the nuances of being an attorney, whether it's, you know, how to take depositions better, you know, how, what type of discovery send, how to become a better writer when you're doing your motions. Um, it's really important that you do that. So for me, I, I mean, still even, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, we're not automatically all making seven figures a year and stuff like that. It's a struggle. And, you know, as a, a new business owner, most of the money that I make gets, invested back into the firm so of course. Um, you definitely have the potential to do it but it's certainly not guaranteed
0: okay so you don't get a diploma and a rolex on the same day as what you're saying
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> okay um let me see here i have so many man there's still so many questions i want to ask you um let me see so someone that's just becoming a lawyer or looking into becoming a lawyer what what is the best advice that you would give to that person
1: it would be to really find out what area of law that you want to do. Uh, I wouldn't take the first offer that comes your way. I would try to get into an area of law that you enjoy. You know, for me, I could never be a defense attorney that only counts their hours on a day and is judged by how many hours they build that week. I need to be on like a for performance based program. So that's why I wanted to you know, represent plaintiffs. I, you know, I get to share in the victories with the client and I get a percentage of it and it's, you know, it's exciting and it's a great relationship, you know, in my office, uh, my office is loud. We're constantly, you know, collaborating and celebrating each other's victories. And if you walk into most of these defense firms, they're like libraries. It's just these people and they're (laughs) counting beans to line up their hours for the week. So, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really finding out. I mean, some, some people, that's what they want to do. They don't want the risk of having to go after that. They want to come in, do their hours for the week and know that they're a paycheck, and that's fine, um, but I would say it's really important to to know what area of law you want to get into, um, and then dedicate the first couple of years to being the best attorney that you can. You know, do you know volunteer for you know the the difficult assignments that the firm has. Um, you know, tackle those difficult assignments, and then you're going to be better off for it.
0: And then, and then. You did mention that uh, the policy that you have that that you don't you don't take um, any kind of payment unless you win. Do you ever take pro bono work? Do you ever do any kind of pro bono work?
1: So it's something we definitely want to be a little bit more involved with. But you know, we're also in a unique situation where, yeah, we're going to share in the victory, but. We're also representing a lot of people that would never else no, wouldn't be able to afford an attorney otherwise, right? So we're taking on the risk to represent you. So we're going to take on that. Um, you know, we're going to share in the reward with you. Um, but you know, I think there are going to be other opportunities where you know maybe outside of our field where we could do some pro bono work, and I think that's important as well.
0: Okay. And then for being a being a lawyer, is it synonymous with being an opportunist? And and I don't want to throw a big name around, but just for the sake of asking. Obviously, you know, and most people know who Gloria already is, right? Of course. Um, it seems like any time there's any kind of high profile, any kind of sexual harassment or anything like that, her, you you just know her name is coming up. In three, two, there it is. So, so how much of being a lawyer is being an opportunist?
1: You, you know, I think, especially on the plaintiff side, you know, you never know what kind of type of case is going to come out. But I, I think that most of us on the plaintiff side don't really like the way that you know the Gloria Allreds and other people handle their types of cases you know especially through the media Um, I think it kind of cheapens what we do Um, and it's it's not at least from from my perspective I don't want to speak for everybody else in my field it's to me it kind of it it, it just cheapens everything like I said and it it kind of uh, I think paints us in a bad light paints us as money hungry Um, and you know I don't need to try my cases through the media to you know, try to leverage a better settlement for my client. We can beat them. You know, in in the courtroom and on the paper.
0: Okay, that's fair. Um, so you have a license in the state of California. Can you represent a, a, a client outside of the state? And if a customer was wronged in, let's say they they worked in Nevada and now they live in California, can you take that case?
1: Um. It, it depends in most situations yes you, you know you can apply for special licenses to represent clients in a special case like for example if you wanted to go uh, you know take on a case in Alabama and try and you wanted to be the trial attorney you can get sworn in kind of temporarily to their state bar to be able to try you know that specific case um, in terms of being able to represent somebody you know i would only really represent California employees it, California lawsuits and and for California residents, um, just because, you know, there's, when you're dealing with other states, they have unique laws, you know, whatever your wrongful termination law is here in California, I guarantee it's different, you know, like in Texas or something like that.
0: Right, right. So you kind of you kind of stay in your lane as as far as that goes. You're a you're a California guy and you do for California people.
1: Yeah. So we'll do deal California laws. We will go into federal court here in California, but that's when you're dealing with federal laws. That's a little bit more uniform, obviously, as well than you know new, different states. But uh, yeah, I think most attorneys are going to stay in their lane unless you're like a go to trial attorney like this Nick Rowley that I was talking about earlier. You know, he's sworn into like ten different jurisdictions and he gets <laughs> he gets temporarily sworn in all the time just to try cases. So
0: so is is that guy a hero of yours or like you know he he seems like a big big deal i mean who are some of your heroes in this industry
1: yeah i think uh you know nick is absolutely somebody to look up for you know there's a few heavy hitters here in uh los angeles i mean there's you know, Nick Rowley, Gary Dordick, Arash Halmanpour. there's some really big names of, of really successful plaintiff attorneys who have been just, you know, killing it in trial. Uh, Jeannie Harrison's a, a really awesome woman who's been doing the same for employment law. So, you know, and one of the, the cool things about being on the plaintiff side is all of these attorneys are really willing to help out the younger generation or other plaintiffs' attorneys because they realize, like, oh, cool, Bernard Alexander, he just got 155 million in Tesla. We can use that now as a threat to increase the value of our cases so you know it's kind of like the rising tide rises all boats or whatever the saying is that's really how the plaintiff side looks at things as opposed to the defense side where they are you know they're secretive about their strategies they don't want (laughs) to share anything they don't want to ever you know lose a client so um i I like kind of being part of that uh collaborative uh you know movement towards you know getting justice for employees
0: so so just just as far as like big names and things like that. So obviously, you know, the the industry people when you see firms like um, are you going to get mad if I say names here? No. When you see like a Larry H. Parker, when you see uh uh, uh, uh Salino and Barnes or um, rest in peace to the the one that passed. I think it was uh, Barnes or Salino, actually. Um, Do you do you kind of chuckle to yourself or do you say, hey, man, those those guys are killing it?
1: I would say good for them for having an awesome marketing, you know, like Sweet James Bergener too, or whatever, <laughs> yes. or Jake yes. Jacob M. Ronnie, Those guys, I mean, they you know they have the money to throw at those those cases. Um, a lot of them though, they take in the cases and then they refer them out to more reputable firms to do their litigation. Uh, I think Sweet James actually is recently actually building up his litigation, which is cool. But a lot of them just become like referral mills. So um, I don't I don't think they have like a. They don't have a ton of respect, I'd say, in the legal community from like, oh, if you go up against them, they're going to have awesome attorneys. A yeah. couple of them are trying to change that, but you know, a lot of them are just referral mills.
0: Yeah, but it's, but you wouldn't say like as a lawyer, you're intimidated if you hear that Larry H. Parker's uh, firm is on the other side?
1: I, I don't think they're going to have, they're going to cause much intimidation, though.
0: No. Got it, got it. Um, what is the best advice that you were given as you were coming up, climbing the ladder, earning your stripes?
1: So, um, really, for me, the the best uh, advice I got was from my father-in-law. He's an attorney, also, and he's the one that told me to make sure that I go after an area that I like. Um, And he's the one that steered me towards employment law. At first, I was, you know, kind of more into personal injury. Um, That's what I kind of grew up in. That's what those were my first experiences. Um, And he advised me, like, look, you want to get into employment, it's not quite as you know, for lack of a better word, dirty as personal injury, because there there is a lot of dirt to that, that industry. Um, and it's, it's something that is one is going to be lucrative and two, I think you're going to like. Um, so I started looking into it, taking some cases and really teaching myself employment law. Um, and now it's, you know, we're going to probably transition to almost 100 percent employment law here in the next year or two, because um, that's really what I love to do. Um, and I love the, I, I love that area. So for me, it was just the advice to to find out what you know, what area I liked. And then, you know, now it's my life. That's what my legacy is going to be. That's how I'm going to make a living for my family. So um, I appreciated that he pushed me to do what I wanted you know to find what I wanted to do.
0: So, okay. And, and it's similar to, it's very similar to, to the advice that you would pass on when you said that you would tell them, Hey, find a field that, 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 uh, feels good on the inside and and run with it. Right. Exactly. Um, okay, perfect. Uh, do you remember your first case?
1: I remember the first case that I had at my own firm, it, it's because it was a, it was just a small slip and fall in a market out in like Bakersfield. Um, and the client only had like $10,000 in medicals, which is not that much. And I was able to get her $200,000 and it was, I still haven't been able to get a result that good for a slip and fall case. And it was the first one that came through the door. Um, and it's what allowed me to kind of open the doors of a law firm and frankly convinced my wife to allow me to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um this is a philosophical question this is one that we ask everyone uh we're nearing the end of our interview again uh brennan hershey from hershey law um and 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 i don't want you to think as a lawyer all right just think as Brendan hershey five-year-old how, however however you want to be as innocent as you can be if you were guaranteed the right answer to any question what would you ask
1: yeah, so that to me that's it's pretty easy. And I'm gonna answer it like I'm a five year old. I would wanna know the next time Liverpool is gonna win the Champions League. It's probably gonna be this year, I'm sure. Um and I'd wanna know <laughs> so I could go so I can go to that game and then I could bet unlimited money on it and make some money. That would be probably the answer I would want to.
0: That, you know what? And this is super random because not a lot of people, not a lot of people follow, you know, uh, football like that. But I'm, I'm also a huge Liverpool guy, and that's so random that that we landed on this together. When Steven Gerrard left, I, I swear, it's one of the only times as an adult man that I got tears in my eyes.
1: Well, at least he came to the galaxy for a little bit, right? You got I, to see him in person.
0: Yeah, but he played the bench. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't the Steven Gerrard captain of Liverpool anymore, was he? I mean, he was. I mean it was the end of the run for him, I think. It, it was cool having him here. It was cool having him at home, but you know what I'm talking about, man. Like that's, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, uh, absolutely. But it all led us to get to get uh, Jurgen Klopp, which I think is uh, you know, I think we've all been enjoying that ride.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um so there's that one. Um the the last two things I have to ask you are if anyone is looking for legal counsel, if anyone is looking for legal advice, if people are looking to find, follow you. Um, see what you're all about. Where can people find information about Hershey Law?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the easiest way is just to go onto our website. It's hersheylaw.com, and that's you know Hershey like the candy bar. Um, and then you can either fill out you know an intake form or give us a call at our office. We have some awesome you know intake people here who will take down your information, uh, and then we'll get back to you and see if it's something we can help out. And then I always offer free Zoom consultations with our potential clients as well. Um, and you know we're always here for any employees that have any questions about what's happening at their workplace.
0: And then are you guys active on social media as well?
1: Relative. I mean, we have a few, you know, company profiles on Instagram and stuff. I think it's, you know, at Hershey law um, and stuff like that. We're not too active, but it's something we're trying. We're going to try and increase our presence here over the next year. You know, I'm going to have to get a, am going to have to give in and get a TikTok or something.
0: (laughs) Okay, definitely. And the very last question we ask, and I know it's super random, but it's just insightful and it's fun to know about these people. What is your song of the day today?
1: honestly i I was i I went to my spotify to see what it was i've been listening to a lot of joiner lucas lately and that your heart song i don't know that's the one i've been listening to a lot recently
0: okay all right i'll I'll join you in um let me see uh i'm gonna do sabotage by beastie boys that way we, we each gave one that way it's silly but it's goofy on both of us brennan hershey from hershey law we appreciate your time thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time I'm terrified to see the bill that's going to come to me right now, (laughs) honestly.
1: Eric, I appreciate it, man.
0: Thank you, man. I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, Anyone looking, Brendan Hershey, Hershey HersheyLaw.com. Check them out. Thank you.